Say happy birthday to my mother. She's 90 now. Oh, wonderful. Yes. And wonderful. Yes. You don't and, look the... And her well, sister... I'd, I'd put you at maybe about 70. Her, well, her sister's 70. Yeah, Fantastic. Oh, are you not? <laughs> I'm 80. Oh, 80. A sunny spring morning. Frank, with his mother and aunt, is parked beside the Killakee viewpoint on the Dublin-Wicklow border. And what better place to mark a milestone birthday than with the spectacular Dublin Bay Vista stretching out ahead and the meandering military road behind. This, surely, is one of the loveliest gateways into Wicklow, the Garden County. Is Wicklow familiar to you or is this an unusual jaunt? I know every foot of Wicklow. I come up here for refuge when everybody down there is working. And Glendalough is one of the wonders, isn't it? I love Glendalough. What about Glenmalure? What about Kilcool Beach? What about the migratory birds in their thousands that flock to the beach? There's so much wonder and beauty here. All you have to do is pay attention. It's all here. It's paradise. Wicklow, the Viking's Meadow, is a painter's landscape and a traveller's Eden. Grey stone roads, brown bog, huge cloud scurries, dabs of blue, white, grey and sea and sky. Narrow roads snake high and deep. Every road links past and future, carries history to us. In parts this landscape may seem like one big national park. The garden county of bogland, pine trees, walks, estates and plentiful nature. But stop, talk dig a little and the bigger picture emerges clear and complex beauty is eternity if you want a tinge of eternity come to Wicklow you're listening to The County Measure I'm Vincent Woods we're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence and partition to get a measure to get many measures of all 32 counties We're looking at place, landscape and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a Radio Atlas of Ireland. then the landscape changes once you get into pine forestry and and the wreckage of cleared land, land cleared of, of, of pine trees as you come up towards this beautiful bogland but then there's a mass of, of pine behind us coming up into that wonderful sweep of low mountain and brown bog and heather The old military road, all 58 kilometres of it, was one of the first purpose-built roads in Ireland. Its primary purpose, military containment. Running north-south and linking Rathfarnham in Dublin to Havana in South Wicklow, the road runs through the mountains and was built after the 1798 rebellion to fortify the power of the Pale. Still, there's a great sweep of mountain. Unsullied and very beautiful as we head up towards Glen Crean. Four military barracks were built along the route at Havana, Glen Malure, Lara and Glen Cree. 
Today the R115 follows some of the old road and carries its own patches of history and connection to larger world conflicts. In the piece here of, of Glen Cree and beside the Glen Cree River, a bit of unexpected and perhaps not so well-known history, the German military cemetery. The soldiers, the airmen who died in and around Ireland, land and sea, First World War, Second World War. And of course, we often remember the dead at Easter and with the war now in Ukraine, you're thinking of war as this eternal thing and a kind of peace to be found in a place like Glen Cree with the beautiful Celtic cross up in the hill and the bodies resting beneath. Driving onwards over the military road towards the Sally Gap, I'm reminded of something the writer and journalist Paddy Woodworth once recorded. As a young man, when he confided his literary ambitions to a Wicklow farmer, the local man promptly replied, You'll find no poetry here. The words, matter of fact, without irony, were spoken as the dawn was spreading fire over the Sugarloaf Mountain and down into Calorie Bog. I suppose we don't always see the poetry in things or the beauty of what's around us. But you don't have to be wide-eyed to see the natural beauty of Wicklow and how poetry might be harvested out of the land. There's poetry in plenty. And books in plenty too. Hello there. A thriving library service including a brand new mobile library which does the rounds fortnightly. How you doing? Today the library is parked in the tiny town of Rathdangan. You're inside. Excellent, great. The mobile library is a large truck entered via high steps or a wheelchair lift. Nice to meet you. How are you doing, Vincent? Andrew, Andrew. Nice to meet you, Vincent. great to meet you. Yeah. Andrew Curley is the driver. Um. At the far end, behind a perspex screen, librarian Karen Downs is checking out books for a local playgroup. Yeah. Great selection. Mixture of fiction and non-fiction there. Yeah, yeah. amazing airplanes, brilliant. And then we have the wonky donkey's brother, the dinky donkey. <laughs> dinky donkey. <laughs> donkeys, donkeys are always great value. Yeah. So how long will you keep these out for now? Two weeks now. I'll be back on the, see the date, the 4th of April is stamped on them, so I'll, I'll be back here on the 4th of April. And them. in the meantime, the children have the chance to yeah. delve into them and... Yeah. Pass them around and, and what what would be some of the more popular books? I mean, is there, is there a trend at all? Like Murder a, Mayhem. <laughs> they like the thrillers and a lot of um, cookery books and the non-fiction, the autobiographies and true crime. Some of the school children like the tractor books. But tractors are very popular, all right. <laughs> and why not? Um, a good tractor is a still a lovely farms, thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, you must pluck up a fair bit of mileage. Yeah, we would quite... Dis- Bit actually, yeah. Um, some days you're driving off a lot more than others. Today will be a long day. Kiltegan will be our next stop, so that would nearly be the farthest away from our base. We go all over Wicklow, so we start off in Bray every morning, and then Newcastle, Kilcool, Newtown, and then we travel as far as Ballyconnell, Shalala, here, Rathdangan, Kiltegan. So we go everywhere. A lot of different people use us, young and old. Karen, I presume you have you have regulars who come and I'm sure you, you really get to know people and know the characters. Yeah, yeah, at our last stop we had Rosemary. Rosemary's been coming in for a long time. She's in her mid-80s and uh, during the summertime we have our lunch with her. 
we put our table up outside and she bakes a few things and we bake a few things and have our lunch with her and she enjoys the company and then we'd have people that we'd visit you know outside of work and that too and then obviously the sad part is we've gone to funerals of people over the years that we've known very well so you do build up great friendships with people some of my good friends would be borrowers that come into us there's a lot of people that don't drive and can't drive and stuff so for various reasons so i mean it's great that this comes to their doorstep and they can walk down or that you know and during the summer then even we go out on the road then so when the children are on their holidays they can still access the library and karen for you what what do you love about wicklow well i love the scenery when you're driving by and seeing it during the different seasons and the winter it's different and the spring with the flowers coming out and the different wildlife you see along the road all the pheasants or the deer and that kind of thing so the scenery in wicklow is brilliant beautiful you won't get scenery anywhere else like it and it kind of almost deserves a kid's book of its own, you know, the mobile library. Uh, I'm always saying I'm going to write one, but I haven't done it yet. Karen, now's your, off with you, off with you. <laughs> Maybe I will now. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you should, I think you should. What's the next stop? We're going to Kiltegan now, so. And is that the end of the day? It is, then all the way back to Bray. A long right. old drive for oh, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been so lovely to meet you. Yes, yeah, it's been lovely really, to meet you. Really Thank you so much for coming in. Delighted. Wicklow was the last of the 32 counties to be shaped and made. The boundaries put in place in 1606 from land previously part of Dublin and Carlow. But whatever its land and history of formation, Wicklow never feels less than its own complete world with all its diversity and difference. Driving just outside Roundwood, um, a slightly startled to spot what looked like an elephant's trunk in a field on a small road. And so I stopped and discovered that it's actually a park, Victor's Way Indian Sculpture Park. Victor's Indian Sculpture Trail has to be one of the most unique of the gardens, and there are many gardens in the Garden County. Nine huge stone statues of Ganesh, the Indian elephant god, and... The most remarkable of those, one that uh, Victor Langfeld, who set up this park, calls Paddy Ganesh, which has um, Ganesh playing the and pipes and the spine to Guinness not too far away. You're listening to The County Measure and we're in County Wicklow. The north of the county feels quite different to the south and as you travel down the twisting roads, you're hit by image. Small farms, stone-walled estates, magnetic tint of fuchsia, dank green of dense Sitka spruce, yellow gorse, the roll and peak of mountains, a glimpse here and there of the sugarloaf. And then you're in Shillelagh, on the River Derry, close to the Wicklow Way and almost touching on the borders of Carlow and Waterford. On the main street of the town is a tidy shop with a striking window display and a sign, 
old Shalera stick makers. Hello there. Hello there. Hi. Uh, the shop is run by Liam O'Kyla and his wife Liz. That's doable. Yes. Liam is a former electrical engineer who learned the craft from his father. He makes the sticks behind the shop. And down at the very bottom is a, an old drying shed. Liam works in the traditional way. He harvests local blackthorn in winter and then the sticks are dried, seasoned and shaped for up to five years before they're ready. Uh, those there are just lean tools. Um, when we cut the sticks, this is all this year's stock that's been cut and it's um, left there to air dry before it's put into f- proper storage. So we air dry it there first for a few months before and it goes And where do you get the blackthorn, your supply of blackthorn? We, we sort of make a point of it, uh, harvesting it all from within the old territory of Shalala. It's sort of nice to have it. He says it's Shalala from Shalala. You know? Of course, yeah, That's yeah. yeah. And like, if you weren't doing this, do you think that farmers would have continued to grow blackthorn or are are you helping to sustain the blackthorn in the area? We very much would be helping to sustain it because um, to to most farmers it's a a weed or a pest and the only place we find it now is in wasteland. Uh, Hedgerows tend to be kept trimmed so it doesn't really thrive there but um, in sort of the edge of bogs and woods and that where it's not being routinely cut down that's where we tend to find it. I've never seen so many blackthorn sticks in the making. What you have here is sort of sequential. Once the sticks have completed their seasoning, they come in here to be straightened, first of all. And when we're straightening them, we use steam, and we can tell then when we're actually straightening how ripe the stick is for finishing. So, so there like must be about six or 700 sticks in here. There'll be a lot of pieces there, yeah. yeah. Um, all undergoing different stages of the progress. Liam, I suppose, you know, we all think we know what a shillelagh is and I probably have different ideas of it. What makes a real shillelagh? Well, there's not a short answer to that, really. But originally a shillelagh was a battle club, a weapon used in open warfare. And they were made always from blackthorn wood. Because, of course, blackthorn is lovely and light to hold, but then it has that great sturdiness and strength in it. Yes. And was there a period during the penal laws when the shillelagh was actually banned? That's largely what happened when the people who used them to control this area for hundreds of years, thousands of years, by the 1600s they had begun to become dispersed and many of them used their trades as stick fighters. They sold themselves as mercenary fighters. And when sick were outlawed under the penal laws, these guys didn't want to go out of business. So what they began doing was changing their style of fighting slightly and making their sticks look like walking sticks. Then during the famine... There wasn't enough military or police in the country to control the people and guard the grain and keep it all in order. So they actually began to hire these Sikh fighters as mercenaries. They called them auxiliaries. They gave them a black coat and encouraged them to blacken their sticks to make them look a bit more efficient. And after the famine, then, that's where most of these guys ended up emigrating to America. They were headhunted there for the, the work gangs in America. And a lot of them ended up as the early policemen because they had the skills. Again, the early policemen were basically just hired thugs as well and they didn't want to give them guns so these Irish stick fighters were sought out because they could use the sticks so competently And now where would most of your orders come from? Would there be many from Ireland or is, is there a lot coming in from America? Almost entirely America uh, Canada, Australia would be second and third yeah. very little in Ireland 
an awful lot of uh, police and military in America have associations with Shillelagh. We make all the six for the 69th Infantry, who lead the New York Parade every year since 1850. And every year we send over, depending on the year, 400 usually sticks to them. Uh, we make them for the, the National Guard headquarters in ROTC in New York. The Irish Order of Hibernians has a strong connection with them. Um, police forces and all over the old northeast of America. So if you want to come inside to the uh, the showroom, I can show you one and demonstrate how to work. See one that fits me. Yeah. Yeah. So this is <laughs> this is where sales. This is the front. Yeah, uh, great. Yeah. yeah. Sort of all the different types of shillelaghs that there are. You know, people don't realise. I was going to say they're very striking, but that might be the wrong term to use. <laughs> they're yeah. lovely. We actually make the sticks to fit a person at yes. half their height. Okay. Um, I'll just walk away from you for a second. And it's designed. You make that look very smooth now. That movement. Yeah, well, that's that the idea. And it's meant to drop to the ground and hit the ground right at the same time as the foot you're going to support uh -huh. and gripping your hand in at the same time so that as you walk the stick sort of walks with you okay if you watch yeah but again gosh the, the strength in that the, the, again the sense the sense of strength and flexibility is lovely in it, yeah. isn't it? and Liam I can't but notice <laughs> an iconic figure up there amongst the Blackthorn Muhammad Ali, and if I'm not mistaken, that's a shillelagh. That's a shillelagh in his, in his hand, yeah. yeah. Yeah, He was in Ireland in uh, 1974, fighting a guy called Al Blue Lewis in Croke Park. And uh, when he was handed a stick and explained to him what it was, he famously said, uh, I like it, but I don't think I'm going to need it. <laughs> And he didn't, he won quite easily. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wouldn't have needed Shillelagh. But it suits him, he looks good with it, doesn't he? He does look good with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'm tired of roaming round, and so I'm going to pack my grip. Liam, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for Thank you very much. what you're doing, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. With my shillelagh under my arm and a twinkle in my eye, I'll be off to Tipperary in the morning. With my shillelagh under my arm and a tularoolalai, I'll be welcoming the home that I was born in. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Delia. Come in. Thanks a million. Great. Wicklow has a long connection to the film industry and two Hollywoods, the local village and the L.A. Tinseltown. Ardmore Studios has been at the centre of Irish filmmaking for decades, and many a famous actor and director has walked the ground here on the strength of the celluloid dream. Like a cup of coffee. Maybe in a while, In the wake of the success of the Banshees of Inisherin, an unexpected spotlight of publicity has focused on a quiet woman who lives in Greystones, walks the beach every day, and knits for the love of the craft, undazzled by the stars who've worn her jumpers. I meet Delia Barry at her home and there's a warm welcome. Delia, I wonder, I mean, everyone thinks about now, about the Banshees of Inisherin, but you, you've also made clothes for Meryl Streep, for uh, um, Dancing Jude at Lunacy. Jude Law, Little Women, gloves and scarves and Maggie yeah. Smith. Did you meet any of, of the, the actors of the people that you made clothes for? I met Emily for? Watson. I taught her how to knit on four needles. In the film, she needed to knit on four needles. She took to it very, very easily. Yeah, so good, good brushes with, with fame. 
The sweaters Delia made for the Banshees of Inishirn were a sensation, a fisherman's knit with a deceptively simple diamond pattern and a pointed collar. That design with the collar, was that from an old... That's from an old photograph. Yes, that was a black and white group of fishermen. It was 1920s and there was someone very clever who designed that. Of course. Over 100 years ago. Sure, I mean, all those designs came out of those clever minds. Everything I do for the films is just pictures. There's never a pattern. If it was a painter, I'd be arrested for copying. (laughs) (laughs) But I suppose any kind of focus on publicity might come with a certain cost. I wonder how you manage that. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) I did about 28, I think, interviews altogether. I can't see what all the fuss is about. I've done more intricate ones than those. Um, when I was doing it, it was a little bit of a chore when I was doing it. But I was very happy when I went to see the film. Oh, I thought, now that looks good. Did I need that? (laughs) (laughs) Delia learned to knit in school and has continued with it for 70 years. It's good for the brain. Yeah. It's very good for the brain. I find now if I'm sitting here at night, I have to be doing something. Even though I'm busy. Yes. And then when it all stops, Mm. I'm looking for another ball of wool (laughs) to do something else. Especially since Paddy died, because sitting here, it can be very lonely. And that's what kept me going. Would you show me a stitch or two? I I, I would have loved, as a a boy, you didn't have a chance to learn to knit. I can show you. See if I have any... See, any bit of hope at all, <laughs> any, any skill in the hands. Now, it's... So the needle into the stitch. This is for your tension. Oh, OK, so you're, 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 I'm right-handed like you are, so you're holding... Yeah, over, so put it in, in, here. in and yeah. just... It automatically, if you turn your hand... Well, what I'm trying to do is... Just get it I try my best with plain and a bit of pearl, but the needles seem to have a mind of their own. And despite Delia's patient attention, That's it. I eventually have to admit defeat. Well, not quite. I do manage one plain stitch. It's a long one, wasn't it? <laughs> Coming up on the county measure, rewilding Wicklow, seascapes and the intrepid sea scouts of Arklow, and Florence Road, a fresh young band from Bray, with the world as their oyster. Oh, lovely. On oh, the first glimpse of the unmistakable sugar loaf. Oh, it's so beautiful. That iconic shape. That lovely blue emerging out of the brown, the sun breaking through the clouds. It's like driving into a Jack B. Yeats painting. Avondale, Avoca, Powerscourt, Mount Usher, Kilruddery, Kilmacara. The gardens and estates of Wicklow are a wonder. Nature shaped and adapted, a myriad of plants and trees, native and imported. Scarcely a soul in the Sally Gap. Wander the mountains, and you might think part of this county is a natural park, 
a slice of nature open and preserved. Ah, few men with sheep. Though you might be puzzled by the swathes of Sitka spruce, wonder about its impact on the native bogland, heather, flora and fauna. Suddenly the views are lost to pine. What is the balance of nature in this seemingly wild, natural world? That's what Danny Alvey and three of his siblings questioned just over a year ago. Spurred on by disappearing wild animals and plants, they founded Rewild Wicklow, a volunteer group whose mission is to monitor, protect, enhance and increase native habitats in Wicklow. In short, to restore the wild county it once was. Danny, good morning. Great to meet you. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, too. yeah. You're very welcome. Birds singing and all. They are indeed. Excellent. Yeah, nice. that's what we like to a hear. Nice bright morning we've got here. I meet Danny at the East Coast Nature Reserve in Newcastle. Plenty Tell me birds. about the East Coast Nature Reserve. Uh, so it's Birdwatch Ireland's largest nature reserve. So it's 92 hectares here of wetlands, and uh, it's a fen, which is a very unusual type of habitat. And the difference between a fen and a bog is a fen is much more um, basic. A fog is acidic and a fen is basic on the, on the pH scale, which means we get very unusual habitats and very unusual species here as we go along. So let's, let's walk. Let's walk and talk. Yes. And listen absolutely. to the birds. You know, I was thinking about that very recent survey from the Botanical Society of mm. Britain and Ireland. Yeah. It was 56% of, 56% of native yeah. species in decline. It's, yeah. it's really shocking. Absolutely. Like, I remember when I was a child in Wicklow Town, we'd see hedgehogs and all of the hedgerows rustling around the place. You'd easily see an otter down in the river, the Vartry River there. You'd go up along the Murrah and you'd see these little black and yellow caterpillars all around the place. But now it's just so hard to find wildlife. And I go for walks with my nieces and nephews and I just, they, some of them have never seen a hedgehog. And if, if you don't see it, it's very hard to understand the value of protecting it. So we've just come to this little part here now and... I'll take over and sit there on the little bench for a moment maybe and this is a gorgeous spot you'll see people sitting here collecting their thoughts and there's lots of bird feeders here we can see here there's a whole bunch of chaffinches and house sparrows and uh, blue tits just flying down here and they don't mind if you sit right here on this bench as well especially if you're not too noisy a few little robins it's a lovely little place to sit yes yeah Yeah, well plenty of ponds and wet areas around here I often think of um, St Kevin and the Blackbird you know and, and (laughs) and how people love blackbirds and realise you don't see as many as you used to yeah absolutely and especially more, some of those more rare species I suppose that's what's so great about the reserve here it's great for these birds we see all the time little robin running along the ground over there but some of the more rarer birds that are being protected here such as uh, kingfisher beautiful dazzling blue kingfisher I've seen one once or twice and just the flash of blue just looks so unnatural in nature it's, just, it's, it's gorgeous and then a whole lot of birds that visit us just in the winter. So ducks like widgeon and teal. Strange, I suppose, Danny, as a lot of people would think of Wicklow as uh, it's a rural Wicklow, the mountains, um, the vales, the valleys, the gardens, famously the gardens of Wicklow, as almost constituting something of a national park, you know, almost like a nature reserve. But it's not as simple as that. No, it's not. Like, the largest national park... The country is in Wicklow, or Wicklow Mountains National Park, 200 square kilometres. But when you look at it internationally, and this is a statistic I like to shock people with, in France, 10% of the land is national park. In the UK, 8% of the land is being set aside as national park. Do you know what the figure is for Ireland? 
0.9%, less than 1%. So we like to portray this image of us really caring about our nature and the garden county and with, oh, you know, we're a green place, but if we were to be serious about that, we need to up that percentage. And it's something that we just don't see people talking about in government. You know, we had a Green Party go into government and it was all about climate change and that's great, but there was nowhere on the programme for government to be talking about increasing our national parks. And that's the simplest, most effective way to set more land aside for nature is make it a national park. And there's plenty of more valleys up there that are currently planted with Sitka spruce that could be restored back and increase our national park to really make it something of considerable size. And indeed, there's a lot of work that still needs to happen in the national park, restoring the peatlands. We've also been up there with the rangers planting native trees in areas that once would have had native trees. You know, I always think of the Glen of the Downs in Wicklow. Anyone who's been into Wicklow drives through the Glen of the Downs as they leave grey stones heading anyway further south. That's what most of the country would have once looked like. That's what we're hoping to try to restore over time. Won't see it in my lifetime, but hopefully it's something you can leave for my daughter who runs around here and, and her children after that, that, and they can keep continuing that work and have something they can be proud of. Will we move on? Yeah. Though it's hard you, to leave here. Yeah. <laughs> could sit here all day. Yeah, no, it's lovely. Uh, so we're coming up now to one of the hides that they have here on the reserve. They have three in total. Two of them you can come into this time of the year and there's a third over in the woodland we'd be able to see. It's a lovely shed and once we come inside you hear the echo and it's nice and quiet. And we've got lots of lovely little small slit slit windows and we can open them up here now and look out onto this gorgeous wet area. And just with the tiniest bit of a slit, we should be sheltered enough from Great. the birds. And you can let the nice fresh air in. Oh, and from here, you can just look out over what's a beautiful, unusual vista. And look straight away here, we've got a gorgeous grey heron. Oh, yeah. So he'll be, this is great. Great habitat mm. for him to wander around and find frogs and fish and all sorts in the small, shallow pools to feed on. It's a great vista, you know, in a yeah. way you... Like you could lose yourself down here. Completely, and you could almost, you would, yeah, you could be anywhere. Yeah, so we've just really, it's for me, it's been such a, a joy. You know, we started the whole movement thinking we might help plant some trees in one place somewhere. The Native Woodland Trust, I think, was one of the first organisations to be part of it. And we're like, oh, look, if we just plant a few trees for them every year, we'd be happy. But we just said, let's reach out to everybody and see what happens. Lo and behold, everyone was like, yep, it takes a lot of manpower to do conservation. You can't bring in tractors and trucks and all that sort of stuff. You just, the best, simplest way to do it is, is boots on the ground, people going in, planting trees, carrying materials, moving them around the place, all the really simple, basic stuff. So, I mean, out of this, I get the sense that you feel... Hopeful, you feel optimistic that there can be change, that we can make a difference, that it's not too late. Absolutely. And for us, part of this has been just about inspiring people to make that change and become activists in their own communities and see what's possible. And that will start to create the change that we need. And people go, wow, 0.9% National Park? Come on, guys, we need to pick that up and we can definitely increase it. Lovely light on the water now. Mm. Sun just coming out for us. Let's hope it stays out. My name is Olivia Fitzsimons, and I'm a writer. I've been a Wicklow resident for the past 15 years. 
I feel very lucky to live in Greystones, between the mountains and the sea. When I first moved here, I was heartened to discover that Seamus Heaney had lived in Wicklow, and I figured if he could be happy here, so would I. On early trips exploring the county, I arrived in the Devil's Glen with my babies in arms and encountered his poetry carved into wooden benches and rocks along the leafy forest walk there. His words willing me to belong, welcomed by a warm voice from home to this county steeped in language and beauty. In my son's school, lots of languages were celebrated on World Book Day. Parents reading stories that reflected the diverse culture of the community that I belong to. Afterwards, when I talked to the students about fiction, eager hands shot up to tell me about their own writing. Their voices flooded with enthusiasm for storytelling, brimming with bright hopes and dreams for the future, alongside a deep love for reading, fueled by trips to the local library and the beloved Halfway Up the Stars bookshop. As a child, I never had those kind of dreams. I started writing in my mid-40s. While I was working on my debut novel during lockdown, The Quiet Whispers Never Stop, I, like most people, started walking close to my home. My favourite dander became one that began at Kakul Beach, passing pale yellow rushes, always full of birdsong, onto a twisted path dark with tree roots, that runs along a thin-set stream. The stream is sheltered by a slender copsewood, which is itself enclosed on either side by large pastures, bright with green, some heavy with milking cows, some fallow. At the very end of the path there sits a ruin, overgrown with brambles and foliage. Sparse fruit trees are still visible in the garden, and on the front-facing stone wall, a plaque tells ramblers that the author J.P. Dunleavy lived in the derelict cottage. He wrote part of the ginger man in that house. Soon going there became a daily ritual. I used to think about him treading the same ground when he was riding, ducking through the trees on his way to the sea. I'm sure the image helped me finish my novel in some way. This county has always been home to writers. Famous, well-loved storytellers like Nora Holt, Sebastian Barry and Clara Keegan. And if the young writers I met on World Book Day are anything to go by, there will be more wonderful authors with diverse stories to tell on the horizon. I think Seamus would have been delighted with that. The lee of Wicklow, the coastline, is a haven, as Seamus Heaney called it in one of his Glanmore sonnets. The stretch from Bray down past Mizzenhead and on again past Arklowhead to Wexford is over 60 kilometres of cliffs and cliff walks, lighthouses, beaches and stretching sea. The popular tourist spot of British Bay brings out walkers and their dogs, even on a day of severe sleet. And further down the coast is Arklow, the southernmost coastal town 
of the county. Standing in the rain in Arklo, uh, a, a vision of a great combination of sands, a great and rare combination of sands. Two buildings, St. Columkill's Pipe Band. Next door to it is Arklo Racing Pigeon Club, founded in 1950. can imagine a kind of a bit of a, a showdown between the two. Who'd win? I suspect the pipers might set the pigeons <laughs> flying. The sea defines the shape and sense of things here. Pubs with ship and sailing themes and images, a tang of sea in the air, the old docks with stone warehouse buildings. Here in the docks area I meet a group of young people from the Arklo Sea Scouts, whose lives and leisure are closely interwoven with the sea and sailing. Outside, Sea Scouts are practising their survival skills under the watchful eye of Scout leader Laura Coy. Some are doing cooking on the fire, so I think they're cooking in oranges tonight. And then others are building tripods. So that's putting their knots into action. And then this is that if you're out in the woods, that you can cook anything without having that much utensils with them. So if we go over, we might be able to see what they're doing. Potatoes and eggs. Potatoes and eggs. Unseasoned. Laura Coy is a scout leader who devotes much of her free time to the organisation. Laura, tell us a little bit about the Sea Scouts and uh, and what you do here. Sea Scouts is a part of the main scouting body. We follow a thing called the One Programme, and in that there are different elements of it. We work in peer mentoring, it's all youth-led, and the children then are meant to pass on the skills they learn to the other children. They do things like camping, hill walking, kayaking, sailing, rowing, and then us being Sea Scouts, we focus on the boats, like more so than other groups, and then we would have a nautical programme as well. Fantastic. What do you see the youngsters getting from this over the years? They gain a lot of independence and confidence. In the beaver section, the children are totally reliant on us. And then when you get up to the older sections, we're more so reliant on them. We have to stand back and kind of let them lead. And they've gained then the confidence that they're looking at. Going, oh, I'm doing it for her now. And Joe, it's, it's impressive to see that. I'd say I've gained some leadership skills because each section is split up into a few little groups made up of like six or seven people and right now I'm one of the leaders of those little groups and each week we'd go on maybe like a hike or something and we're split up into our groups and it's really helped me like organise people and really just get the leadership skills that I need for say in the future in like a job. I've been in Scouts eight years. And what do you feel you've learned over the eight years? That is very hard to organise stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a that's a good lesson to have learned actually. Yeah. yeah, but it's also very fun. You learn loads of different skills, communication, and you get to meet loads of really cool people. And were there any were there any tough days? I had one where we had started rowing in one of the small boats and one of the oar locks for the oars broke off. We were out about fifty meters into the water. And the boat was turning and we couldn't properly row. First we had to calm everybody down and we had to designate the strongest people to start rowing. And as people were getting tired, we'd swap out. So it took, say, about 10 minutes. But even though it was a bad day, it was a great experience to be able to learn how to cope in those situations. 
Guys, what are you building? And what knot are you using, Joseph? I'm using the square lashing with the X knot. So it's, it's very much also learning by doing. I mean, you. Oh, it's yeah, totally learning. By yeah, learning. you yeah. absorb the practical things, and yeah. but then you do. Well, you obviously love it yourself when you've stayed oh. with it over yeah. all the years. Oh, absolutely, love it. It's just a way of life, really. So you're giving back something as well oh, yeah. from what you I gained. get more out of this than I give a lot more. <laughs> but this is my hobby. It's not just what I'm given. I get an awful lot out of it. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the County Measure. Today, we're in County Wicklow. Here in the centre of Wicklow town, not too far from the Bridge Tavern where he was born, is an obelisk, a monument to Captain Robert C. Halpin, who famously led a lot of the shipping that laid the telegraph cable that connected the world, really, in the 1860s. The Leitrim River runs through Wicklow town. And the town today holds old and unfolding history in stone, place and symbol. An antique shop sells what remains of Arclo pottery, once thriving industry that closed in 1998. Mm, that's lovely. The Grand Hotel is a direct provision centre and a nearby building is given over to helping Wicklow's Ukrainian refugees. And I see Cave Mila Falsha, 100,000 welcomes. How do you say it in Ukrainian? Laskavo prosim. Wonderful. Irene, thank you so much. Thank you. Town, further north, has its own calm atmosphere and rhythm. But like many towns in Ireland now, the wider world sometimes looms unexpectedly into life here. How are you? Hello, hello, hello. In a Turkish barber's just off the main street of the town, I meet Gihan, Would you like to drink anything? whose family was caught up in the catastrophic earthquakes that devastated parts of southern Turkey and northern Syria two months ago and is raising funds to help survivors. I lost uh, my family, cousins, aunties, you know, and husbands, nine people die. I was there myself, actually, you know, before the earthquake. I was there to go holiday for one week, see my mom. After two days, is earthquake start. So that's why we helping everything. Like we help the people under the ground, you know, and dead or whatever, you know. Our family, they lost the house. We have a, like beside the house, little land. So all families put to tent there. Like my cousin, aunties, you know, they all live there t- together because most of them die anyway. Like friend is gone. Like your, your culture is basically is gone, you know. I hope your family will be okay and hopefully, and, yeah. please God, yes. please God, yeah, for everyone, for human, yes. all the humans who's like a bad in the world, you know, like they will all get good food mm. and whatever, you know. Yeah, we have to look after each other. Thank you for the tea. No problem. I know. Energy harnessed in Wicklow has helped light and power our capital city. And there's a new energy at work in the county today in arts and music.
In Bray, I meet a very young music group, Florence Road, who are busy forging their fresh and original sound, while they're equally busy studying for their leaving cert. My name is Alva and I play the bass and sing harmony. My name is Emma and I play guitar. My name is Hannah and I play drums. And my name is Lily and I, I'm the singer. Wait, can I do that again? That was really <laughs> what will I say? And I sing. And together you're Florence Road. And I have to say, I love the name. I think it's a really classy name. Where did it come from? Um, it came from, it was where our old school was. We met for the first time, it was on the Florence Road. And so Hannah actually came up with the name. <laughs> we met in school, obviously, but it was during fourth year, a Christmas concert. We all decided that we'd play a song together. And then we were like, OK, that was actually kind of good. <laughs> and it went down a treat. It did, yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of people in school really enjoyed it, and they kind of encouraged us to keep going. So we we're like, might and as well. Was, was that your first time to perform together as as a group? Yeah, that was my first time playing drums as well. Yeah, we <laughs> was, um, you know. we we didn't have a drummer, and so we so, sort of uh, forced Hannah to play the drums. She was like, okay, she's going to take one for the team. She's going <laughs> to learn the drums, and um, worked out. <laughs> yeah. And then you become aware of Wicklow Music Generation. That was in uh, fifth year. We were I was walking around school and I see this poster up by the music room and it says, you know, recording and, and mentoring. And I thought that would be so fun to do. We were on the bus back from our school tour to Tato Park. I think Hannah called the group because she wasn't there and said, like, check the email. And we saw that and that was pretty good. <laughs> Then, of course, after the single, a big opportunity came up that you weren't expecting. Tell us about that. It was a dream, really. Um, we've always looked up to the academic and me and Alva were on the phone and we were like, we should go see the academic if they're playing in the Olympia. So I was on my computer and I was, I was getting the tickets and then I get a call from Carl, their manager, and he was like, do you want to open for the academic? I'm like, okay, I'm going to cancel that. <laughs> And the Olympia is pretty daunting. I mean, it's 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 not a small venue. Oh, it was crazy. I remember my dad was sending me um, like videos of people who had previously played there, Rory Gallagher and people like that that we blast in the car every day, and it was just crazy to think that like we could possibly get there. What are your hopes for after the leaving search? You know, what are the what are the dreams for what you want to do? It all really depends on what happens after the leaving search, like what happens in leaving search, how we do. Um, but I think we all would love to stay and play music together. Like that would be like it's fun to do. So whether anything the band becomes anything or not, like we're probably going to keep doing that because it's fun and we we like playing together. So. Emma has often said that she wants to go down the red carpet. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make it happen for her. That's that's the aim.
Blessington and Rossborough House, Rossborough Gardens in West Wicklow and the Blessington Lakes, Pulafuca, all of all of this such an essential part of the life and story of, of the county. But also thinking about the energy that has been harnessed out of here, the enlightened vision that turned Pulafuca waterfall with all its power into electricity and then into this huge lake, this huge reservoir uh, that sustains so much of of Dublin. Wicklow has energy in abundance and a fragile, precious natural environment that needs nurturing and protection. It sometimes feels like there's a palpable energy pulsing in the landscape here. Man Maser, free spirits, is the Wicklow motto, and it's apt. There's a fierce independence of spirit, too, in the people, a directness that is frank and engaging. Your measure will be taken as fully as you take theirs, or try to. Mountain and glen, winding road and bog, town and sea, stream of cars on the N11, old estates and gardens, lake, sugarloaf, Sitka spruce and new song. The Wicklow Way climbs high to the light. (laughs) 